You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The power sweep. Actually, it's the, it's the lead play in our, in our offense. Kelly tackle. What's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. You can text the show at 865-658-5824. We're live on YouTube and Twitter. Got my good buddy Dusty Evely on tonight. Man, I'll tell you, if you if you dislike watching football and catching a play here or there, watching the highlights, and you like watching touchdowns scored, and you don't really care about anything else, Turn away from this podcast right now because we're about to get nerdy up in here, man. This is uh, this is going to be the podcast. This is going to be the YouTube video for those of you that just can't get enough of the schematics and kind of the history around how things have unfolded in the NFL and more specifically with this Kyle Shanahan, really Mike Shanahan, really Bill Walsh coaching tree, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, Dusty, first of all, man, how have you been doing? Because I'll tell you this, Dusty. I was like, I need to get Dusty back on the show, but I don't want to bother him. When was the last time I had him on? It was May. I was like, oh, he's coming on the show. Like, it's been way too long. I didn't realize it had been that long. But how Yeah, you been? I, I've been good, man. I can't remember what we talked about. It feels like every time we talk, it's just like, I don't remember what we talked about. I just remember it was football, and it was great. Um, so, I don't, specifics, I don't remember. No, I've been good, dude. Um, you know, off-season's winding down here a little bit. I had a couple of projects I was working on, uh, you know, trying to dig into, and those are kind of winding down. And so, I'm kind of in a spot now where, like, got a couple of things I'm working on, but really, I'm just kind of waiting for the season to start. And, and man, training camp's right around the corner. I'm doing great, brother. It's like the calm before the storm right now. Absolutely, bit. dude. You, and you guys, obviously, you know me, you know him. He's uh, a rider at Cheesehead TV, Packer Report, Pack-A-Day Podcast. Does, I mean, you're all over the place, dude. Every time you, uh, you've you got something, whether it's, you know, riding or, or putting up a new YouTube video, breaking down X's and O's, I'm there. Um, again, I'm always going to say it. 
I know you probably don't care. You may blush, but I, like I said, I call you the, the Greg Cosell Packer fans, man. You're the, you're the <laughs> dude I turn to and I go, what does this actually mean? I search Dusty Evely and that concept and see if you got anything on it, right? Because you, I love the approach, man. You don't come from like this cocky standpoint of, I know, I know more than you. It's just, Hey, look, let's, let's dive into this and figure it out together. That's what I'm all about. So I've, I've, I've said it before. I probably said it here. My entire approach has always been, I'm trying to write to try. I'm trying to dig into a point where it makes sense in my brain. And I figure if I can make it make sense to myself, if I can explain it to myself, maybe someone else can get it as well. Uh, so it's really just, it's trying to calm the voices in my head. So I'm, I'm always, uh, always amazed that anyone cares about what I do. Cause really it's just, I'm trying to learn more about football and I'm happy if people are along for the ride, but there's, I, I mean, I'm sure you're the same way, dude, for everything I learned, every step I feel like I take where I'm like, all right, I understand the game a little better. I realized just how little I know about <laughs> right. all of it. So it's just, just trying to dig in to understand as much as possible. And I feel like it's one step forward, 15 steps back sometimes. Oh, dude, I completely relate. And, and obviously the reason we're on here tonight, guys, the, the podcast dropped the five-part series by Jordan Rodrigue of The Athletic. And it was called The Play Callers. And it highlights, you know, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, uh, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel. And, uh, and kind of how they come up the the coaching ranks. And it's just such a phenomenal story. Um, and I know while I was listening to it the night it released, I think it was after midnight, if I remember correctly, it was early the next morning is when I listened to it. And then immediately, what did I see? I seen you post the drift concept. And I was like, Dusty's on it, dude. He's already on it. He's, he's coming through the tape. He's coming through the images. What are they talking about with drift? Um just phenomenal. Let's do this, guys. Let's kind of set the stage. We got Jacob in the house. I hey, appreciate you hopping in, Jacob. Good to have you. Um, so let's kind of set the stage of how we got to this point, because understand that this podcast, again, we're not going to sit here and try to explain everything about this podcast. Everyone needs to go listen to it for themselves. We're just going to talk about some takeaways and things that we learned, almost like a mastermind, if you will, in this. And um, really, the the podcast picks up when they, the guys arrived in Washington, when when uh, Kyle Shanahan was hired to be the OC in Washington, okay? So before that, let's talk about how they got there, Dusty. First of all, in the 70s, this West Coast offense goes all the way back to the 70s, really. It was something that was kind of inspired by Sid Gilman and Don Coriel. You guys know you've heard Air Coriel, this huge vertical passing attack that they used with the Raiders and and, and other places. I think it was Sid Gilman that actually coached uh, in a, a an alternate pro football league. He also coached in college. John Madden was tied to these coaches. And if I remember correctly, Bill Walsh spent one year with the Raiders. And then, of course, he was hired by Paul. Actually, he went on to be a general manager and head coach of a – Another professional league. I found that out. That was really cool. And then Paul Brown, the great Cincinnati coach, hires him as his offensive coordinator, right? So you guys have probably already heard the story. Their starting quarterback goes down. They trade for a backup. Well, that backup didn't have a strong arm, a strong enough arm to to kind of uh, uh, attack with that Don Coriel or that Sid Gilman approach of vertical passing. So what Bill Walsh did was he set up a system that was a short passing attack that would fit his new smart, accurate quarterback. Okay, so once he does that, um, it really takes off. People dubbed it as the West Coast offense because it really got popular on the West Coast, but it actually should have been called the Midwest offense, right? I said there's there's a really interesting – I'm not going to get into here, but there's a really interesting story that uh, Dr. Z, the late Dr. Z, talks about how the West Coast offense was termed, and it was basically someone misheard something over the phone. 
uh, <laughs> while they were while they were calling in a report to their to their uh, to their uh, editor, I believe is what it was. But I think that's in the Thinking Man's Guide to Pro Football or something. But Doctor Z has a great story about like how that name came to be because it is. You think that was always my thing is what's well, West Coast? It's because it's San Francisco. Well, it was developed really in Cincinnati as far as right. the iteration of it. But it's it's very very interesting. I love that. It's awesome because he said, "Man, my quarterback has got a noodle arm, but there's 53 yards that we can use horizontally here. Let's stretch this thing out horizontally, right?" And uh, and, and I even heard when he went to the 49ers, I think he had read, and it might have been before San Francisco, he had read a, I believe it was a John Wooden book talking about the triangle offense, and he talked about um, attacking a zone on the field, a spot on the field. And to this day, guys, that's what football is. You're attacking space on offense. And on defense, you're defending space. And like we'll talk about later on, how Robert Sala talked about how their defense evolved in San Francisco um, after he came over from Cincinnati or from Seattle, I should say. What they learned to do is you got to move that zone, you got to move that space around, right, and make uh, make the uh, the offense think. It sounds simple, but it's so profound. Uh, Bill Walsh is obviously hired by the 49ers in the '80s. He installs the new system. It absolutely dominates. Now, in 1992, he had to hire a new offensive coordinator because. Mike Holmgren left for Green Bay. So you can see how things are starting to intertwine and the trees starting to branch off. That new offensive coordinator was Mike Shanahan. Now, of course, Mike Shanahan is hired by the Denver Broncos in 1995 as head coach. Now, when he he's hired, the first thing he does is he goes to Kansas City, a division rival, and hires their offensive line coach, Alex Gibbs, who has a zone-blocking scheme, and he becomes his assistant uh, head coach, and he's obviously the offensive line coach. So what you have here is Mike Shanahan, taking Bill Walsh's West Coast offense, and he's marrying up Alex Gibbs' zone blocking system, his zone blocking scheme, and that's how Denver established themselves and basically went on to win back-to-back Super Bowls in 97 and 98. I know that one still hurts. That's all we're going to mention of it, <laughs> and we're going to move on. But let's fast forward now, guys. 2010, so from you know whenever he left Denver, you know roughly I would say a decade later, maybe a little more, he pops up in Washington as the new head coach, right, uh, for the uh, Washington football team, commanders, whatever you want to call them, right? So what's he do? The first thing he does is he hires his son as offensive coordinator. His son had been coaching in Houston with a, several of his buddies, right? So basically, Mike Shanahan lures them all to Washington, and that is where this podcast begins. Dusty, let me ask you this, man. As soon as they get to Washington, right? Well, hold on. Let me back up a minute. This is really cool. In 2011, um, so as he's hired as OC in, I think it was in 2010 or 2011, the season, Matt LaFleur is actually the quarterback's coach, right? Mm -hmm. Sean McVay is the tight ends coach. Mike McDaniel in 2011 was hired as offensive assistant, but he was fired by Houston for drinking on the job. So he got kind of into, into boozing a little bit too much on the job side there. And then, of course, uh, I have heard, Dusty, maybe you can confirm this, maybe you haven't heard it. I heard that it was Matt LaFleur that actually vouched for – Yeah, that was uh, in a uh, Kevin Clark story last offseason over on The Ringer. He wrote he wrote something about the relationship between LaFleur and uh, – it was basically about LaFleur, and it was you know tangentially about Rodgers, but it was kind of like – this is LaFleur's moment to shine type of thing. And there's a quote in that piece. I can't remember the name of it. But there's a quote in that piece from McDaniel basically saying, like, I wouldn't be coaching the NFL if not for Matt LaFleur. He's one of the finest men I've ever known, blah, 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 blah. But that's that's basically what it is. He he credits his entire NFL career at this point to, to LaFleur kind of getting him back in after falling out of good graces after his time in Houston. Absolutely. And if you if you stop, if you step back a second and go, okay, well, 
yeah, Matt LaFleur kind of got him back in the good graces, but how did he get that job in the first place? Really cool story. When Mike Shanahan was the head coach in Denver, they had a ball boy. That ball boy was Mike McDaniel. (laughs) And Kyle Shanahan, running around on the sidelines, became really good friends with Mike McDaniel. So later on when when Kyle gets his shot and uh, Mike's already in football, he hires him as an offensive assistant. And he really, if there was something I'd say, Dusty, that that Mike McDaniel was dubbed as, it's it's kind of a run specialist, isn't he? It seems like he's he's kind of dove into the blocking and running uh, running aspect of the offense. So, yeah, he yeah. talked about that, right? That was like the way to differentiate himself, where he was like, I basically, I, it was more or less paraphrasing here. I can't compete with McVeigh on the floor because it, that was the big thing of like they they wanted to score points by getting plays on Shanahan's call sheet. And that was like the big competition. And at some point McDaniel was like, well, I can't do that. I can't compete with those guys. Those guys are lunatics, but I can become very good at the running game because you could say this guy, that kind of shift that Shanahan was going to go into. And I think when he got, when they all got fired, when Mike Shanahan got fired, the one assistant he could take was Mike McDaniel because McDaniel, uh, you know, found this market inefficiency basically and exploited that in terms of like these other guys have everything else under control. I'm going to be an expert in the running game, which is, I mean, to me, it's fascinating in terms of, I'm sure stuff we'll touch on later, but in terms of how this tree, the branches of this have grown and they've made the system their own. Because when you you think of Mike McDaniel now, I certainly don't think of him as a run game guy, but that's what he was in San Francisco. He's run game coordinator, assistant offensive coordinator in San Francisco. I mean, they, they, pass a, a crazy amount in Miami. Like you think of that passing crew. So to see, to, to see like what they specialized in and like kind of how they end up going is, is fascinating to me. And I think the McDaniel story is a, is a very interesting one. Yeah, no, very well said, very well said. And, and there's some of the, some of the schematics, the eye candy, if you will, reminds me of San Francisco and Miami, but you're, you could hear him talking on that podcast too, of the things he was trying to do off of boot action with Tua, him being a lefty. That's mm-hmm. something that's, that's kind of uncommon. Um, we got Dave in the chat said, this is going to be great. Love watching dusty stuff. I agree. And then uh, of Thank course, you. DJ key in the house said, this is awesome. We appreciate you guys tagging along with us. All right, let's do this. Washington. When they arrive in Washington, I'm going to give you first first shot at this, Dusty. I just want you to say the first thing that comes to mind when the podcast begins and it talks about the Washington days. What's the first thing that comes to mind? What sticks out to you about those Washington uh, that Washington era there with uh, Kyle Shanahan, Matt Lafleur, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, all of them? It's when you can see all that stuff kind of coming together because it even because I think they they started implementing it. I think that was in Washington because we talked about that they in Houston they were under Kubiak, who was you know. Right. The Mike Shaniest of Mike Shaniest guys uh, is Gary Kubiak. And they did a lot of boot stuff. And a lot of the stuff you think of now, like wide zone stuff and the bootleg stuff, you think of Kubiak and Shanahan talked about like, they didn't really do play action off of that. He learned play action to, if we, if we want to like even ingrain this a little further, Paul Hackett, which was old West coast guy under Walsh, obviously uh, Nate Hackett's dad, uh, that, that was, he was a big play action guy. So I think when they got to Washington, and Shanahan was like, this is my offense. I think he, he said he installed like two play action passes, one of them being the drift concept. But I think you think of that offense. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, it's it's hard to think of that year of that offense without thinking about I, I, I from the rooftops. I was screaming, RG3 is going to be better than Andrew Luck. Now, maybe that would have happened and maybe it wouldn't. I think like his Baylor stuff is incredible. Oh, he could yeah. move. He's incredibly accurate. But you look at 
just and the, and the, the uh, Jordan Rodriguez did such a good job of kind of talking about kind of how this came to be. But you see all these backgrounds and OK, you've got the boot stuff. Shanahan now has his own offense and he's starting to do some of the play action stuff. They're experimenting with some of the running stuff that is still that wide zone base because that is a Mike Shanahan offense and Kyle's underneath him. And now you've got this quarterback who now we think of as it's almost like a mold for like this new age of quarterback. These guys who have to move, which is where the league feels like it's going back then. You had the zone read stuff. Like there's all of this. It was this perfect marriage of we've got wide zone. We're also maybe trying to work in some gap stuff. We've got play action passes that's complete. That's very effective because now, I mean, the lowest play action team in the league, if you're looking now, is like 25% of their passes are play action passes. That was not the case even like not that long ago. And then you've got this Uber athlete running the stuff and you're catering it to him to some extent while also like all this stuff. That, that's what jumped out to me is like, I knew what that Washington offense looked like. That Washington offense, RG3's rookie year, positively electric until the injury. I mean, that the injury yeah. was terrible. That playoff game, I still remember. It's like he couldn't step into his throws. His knee was not there. And, that, and it stunk. And I think we were robbed of what could have been a tremendous career. But I remember that. And when I think of that year, I think of zone read. But hearing about all the background of all those guys and how that came together, it made a whole lot more sense. It wasn't just zone read. It was the backgrounds of all of these guys, all of the histories, all of their now like expertise and specials, even at a very young age, kind of coming together and doing that. It, that just, it was kind of a fascinating look back at an offense. That was a lot of fun to watch, even without any of that uh, context. Absolutely. Jacob in the chat says, Mike McDaniel, we were talking about this. Mike McDaniel may be my favorite origin story, villain slash hero story, depending on how it turns out. Laughing emoji. Uh, legit, though, this should have been an ESPN 30 for 30, man. I, I'm glad somebody else feels like that because and, and we were talking about it offline. I don't think we should go into too much detail about what we talked about offline, but I'll just say Mike McDaniel sticks out big time. <laughs> so yeah, we'll just leave yeah. it at that. Um, now, the thing that stood out to me was how they built that zone read for RG3, right? So basically they draft RG3, and Kyle Shanahan said, okay, the first thing he started to do is just combing through all of his college tape, right? And he's like, okay, what did he do good? You know, let's, let's kind of get familiar with him. And what he picks up on is the read option, obviously, right? And – one of the things that he said he he uh, he understood was he looked at the tape and said, man, when this thing gets blown up, it's because people were essentially what he was saying is attacking the mesh point in the read option and they were attacking on the running back side. He said, well, if I do install this, the first thing I'm going to do is run it out of pistol so they can't guess which side we're going to run it out of. Freaking brilliant. And then he <laughs> said, also in the pistol, it just so happens we can run our outside zone out of the pistol. So it was just this perfect – kudos to Kyle Shanahan. I've been one just because I hate the 49ers. I've wanted to just constantly be like, he isn't as good as people think or whatever. After hearing this, I'm like, he's incredible. Yeah. That dude is driven. He's a visionary. He's a hard worker. Like, yeah, he's everything you would want in a head coach. And it just pains me to know that he's with the 49ers, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, so noticing that, noticing that weakness on the backside, like I said, that, that was something that really that stood out to me, how he immediately dissected that. And then of course, the other thing too was um, when he when he brung RG three in. If you'll remember, um, Dusty, he he made him install a play. He made him create. I, you remember? I love that story. It's yeah. such a good story. You yeah. tell it. You could probably tell it better than me. Just just briefly tell it. Yeah, it was basically Shanahan told him like, all right, listen, today you're installing a play. Pick your favorite play from college. You're installing it. And RG three was like. This is going to be great. And what he said, there was a whole bunch of option routes on it. Cause I mean, that Baylor, that was that Uber spread system and it was vertical option, like stuff all over the place. Think of like Tennessee now. And Shanahan says something to the effect of like, these guys are going to be running into each other. And he said, RG3 is like, that's never going to happen. It's going to be fine. And so he installed it. 
And I think he said he completed it in time, in rhythm to his three read. But he said the blocking was a mess. Like two guys ran into each other. And so he kept, so, so he said he installed it every single day, like every single day for, I don't know, like a week. I don't remember what the time frame was, but they installed it up during a lot of practices until they eventually got it right. And then Shanahan said, do you know why I asked you to install that? And he said, no, <laughs> just thought you wanted a cool play from college. You wanted to put in. And he said, I want to let you know, like how much work that is and as much care as you put in making that play work. That's what I'm going to, that's what I do for every play that I put in there, which to me was, that was kind of a, that was a twofold thing. That was you, you can trust my game plan because you know the amount of care I'm putting into this. <laughs> but also I, I love listening to Kyle Shannon. I think he's incredible. Yeah. Big ego on that guy. So on the other side of that, you could also read into that as like, don't question my game. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He put that to bed. He And it's what great visionaries do, whether it's sports, business, or whatever. The great leaders, they can identify a problem before it even arrives. And they've got a plan to and, – and, and right off the bat, it was, hey, look, let's show him what it's like to take ownership. You know, RG3 said – I was and he he said and this was his words. He said he was right. I wasn't gonna let that play fail. That was my mm -hmm. play, and I was not gonna let it fail. And it really kind of put him in Shanahan's shoes, if you will. It's just a phenomenal story. And and that's the thing about this. Like I said, we can't explain everything about this podcast. You have to listen to it for yourself. But it's just story after story like that, just perfectly put together. She absolutely crushed it. Let's do this. Is there anything else you want to hit on in their time in Washington before we move on to Atlanta? No, I don't think so. I mean, it really is. It really was not a long amount of time. It's what two years, I think, maybe there in Washington. Right. Like, it really was not that long. Um, no, I think I think we covered it pretty well. And so there was a brief stint that Kyle Shanahan, if I understood correctly, was offensive coordinator in Cleveland, and then for a year, I think maybe yeah, a year. one year, yeah. And then he went to Atlanta. He was hired as the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons in 2015. Okay, so he's hired as the OC. He hires Matt Lafleur as the quarterback coach. Mike McDaniel's brought over as an offensive assistant, right? And and the thing that really stood out to me about that story is, okay, at this point, the Kyle, if you if you had stopped at this point, Dusty, and said, "What is the Kyle Shanahan offense?" You would say wide zone, read option, right? That's, play that's action. It. Yeah, yeah, play action, wide zone, read option, right? Well, he gets to Atlanta, and what's he do? Matt Matt Ryan isn't going to run the read option. So one of the things that kind of developed there was what they called the uh, the turbo package. So they started using some hurry up, right? And they started putting stress on the defense that way. You guys remember, I mean, that was kind of a, a, a thorn in our side for a little bit there as far as playing Green Bay. Uh, in Atlanta, you know, they had obviously nobody could cover Julio Jones, right? They had an excellent running game as well with the wide zone look. And they ran that that uh, that turbo package, and of course Matt Ryan wins the MVP in 2016, and uh, yeah, just just a, a stellar offense that they created there. Like I said, an MVP caliber performance, which I think it's kind of cool that that Matt Lafleur is tied to three MVPs and a Rookie of the Year. Think yeah. about that because RG three won Rookie of the Year. That really that gives me a little more confidence in Jordan Love this year. Like, hey, we maybe we've got the guy that can put this together. You know, again. Back to back to back. So, what stands out to you about Atlanta there when they were when they were there, Kyle Shanahan? Yeah, I think the the turbo stuff, which then came into play later. I know Shanahan said that he um, that's one of the reasons he hated letting Lafleur go to the Rams with McVay is just because then they installed the turbo package off of there. And I think the turbo package more than anything. I mean, that's something that um, 
I know all of us have thought about like, why don't the Packers use more tempo? And the, and the thing was like, well, it's, it's, uh, it's too many. The, the language is too long, but then hearing LaFleur installed that turbo package. I know then I don't think it was in Atlanta. I think it was when they took it to LA and then him and McVay tinkered with it and built motion in the turbo package, which yeah. was like unheard of. Like you know how to, with, with, uh, how do you even make that work with the language? Like it's, just, it's, it's insane to me. Um, but I think that that was one of my big things from there was, yeah, you had, you had the Ryan thing, which, uh, you know, he was good before that. Matt Ryan was a good quarterback and, you know, took it to new levels with the floor, which was fascinating. Um, but yeah, to me, it was the, it's the turbo package. And I, I zoned out a little after they said that, because I was like, started dreaming of what's, what may be in 2023. <laughs> I couldn't tell you how many times during that podcast, I found myself not paying attention because it branched my thought process off. I was like, no, no, stop. Listen to what she's freaking saying, Clayton. Stop for a second, please. I see here in the chat real quick, uh, Garrison Anderson says, I think how Shanahan, McVay, McDaniel, and LaFleur each adapt to the quarterback they're working with should bode well for LaFleur and Love in 2023. I completely agree. And, and that's one of the things that I came away with that I was hoping other people would too is everyone just wants to say, you know, in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers was running Mike McCarthy's offense. He wasn't really running the floors. And we know that wasn't the case. Um, there may be some elements here or there, but what you really seen was LaFleur doing exactly what McVay did when he went to the L.A. Rams. Uh, you know, uh, Shanahan, exactly what he started with, playing to the quarterback strengths there in Washington. And then, of course, when he goes to Atlanta, they're creating the turbo package. And then as we fast forward to the L.A. Rams, you know, in 2017, after McVay actually stayed, as OC in Washington, then he was hired as the head coach for the LA Rams in 2017. So a lot of people don't know McVay from what I understand when the, when the staff was fired, he stayed in Washington for another year or two. And then of course he was hired as the head coach of the LA Rams. So what did he do? He goes to the LA Rams. He immediately hires Matt LaFleur as his OC um, in LA. And then of course, Matt LaFleur later on, just a little side note, the next year, I believe it was, if I remember correctly in 2018, he would go to Tennessee simply mm -hmm. because he wanted to call plays and McVay wasn't giving that up, right? So yep. it's kind of cool how that branched off. That's how he ended up in Tennessee. But when it came to the Rams, like you were saying, when they installed the turbo package and a little bit of motion with it on the fly as well, they really seen Jared Goff take off and it got him a big contract, didn't it? I mean, that's mm -hmm. something that he, Jared Goff, it just kind of, it kind of uh, clicked for him, right? Yeah, no, I mean that, and that was, I mean, he was terrible that last year under Jeff Fisher, and then that was, and that was the thing with Goff too. That was a bit of like, <laughs> I don't think he should have been one one. I don't think there was a whole lot of, if I remember correctly, it was a relatively weak draft for quarterbacks, and that was kind of a like he had a big arm and some promise maybe, but I don't know that a lot of people expected him to be like just incredible. A lot of his, a lot of the stuff that that he hit on was schemed up. A lot of stuff in the flats, like kind of check down stuff like that. Um, and so when he went one one. And then that first year under Fisher, like his rookie year was like, this might just be who he is. So when McVay came in to that turbo package, they did a lot of that, not necessarily point and shoot. You hear some of the, the Shanahan stuff was kind of like point and shoot, but it kind of simplified in terms of uh, using understanding. You talked about that with that's going to with, with Salah a little later with the like understanding where to attack based on. I think that's that's the kind of rambling a little bit here. That's the thing. And Roderick talks about this. But one of the things that McVay and Shanahan do so well that comes up with the Salah stuff is they understand defenses and defensive weaknesses better than a lot of times we're in offensive systems. And I think that's Shanahan started, if I'm not mistaken, when he was in Tampa Bay charting defensive stuff. So like he really got into the defensive side of the ball. Um, 
And so like that kind of, I think McVeigh took that mastery, got the turbo package, that play action, that leaning into that at the time, like historic levels with McVeigh in uh, with golf in those early Rams years, like using play action studies were coming out at that time saying, you don't, you don't have to have a good run game to run play action. You just have to have looks you're willing to run in. And then there was no breaking point. No one had found a breaking point. You can run play action as much as you want. And they were running 35% of the time. So they're making it basically wow. as easy as humanly possible for golf with a head coach that knows how to call the plays, knows how to sequence plays, and also understands what the defense is trying to do better than just about anyone. And so, yeah, that, I mean, that explosion with golf, those whatever couple of years, especially that second year, because I think he came in in golf second year, if I'm not mistaken. That was just like, oh, he might actually be a good quarterback. He just had Jeff Fisher coach. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's just that it's again, that kind of, you've seen how he's grown, even though he was, he was only 30 when he got the head coaching job. That's in LA. crazy. We were talking about That's on the pod insane. That's absolutely insane. Uh, but yeah, the, the fact that all he had been through and all he kind of understood at that point kind of came in perfect for a guy who was, um, you know, st still not great at that time. And, and some of the, the stuff with golf a little later with McVeigh, some of the interpersonal stuff, like I understand that, but like he, there was things he could do. And I think McVeigh leaned into those really, really well and helped that fit into kind of what he wanted to do and his knowledge with how to exploit defenses it was just, it was a fascinating to look at that. Yeah, I, and there will be no McVeigh slander on my channel because that dude, I know a lot of people go, oh, I think he's overrated. He was the youngest coach to win a Super Bowl in NFL history, and he, he's been to two already. Mm -hmm. Like, that's insane. It's absolutely insane with two different quarterbacks. I don't know how many head coaches could say that, you know. Um, but in 2019, of course, McVeigh got to his first Super Bowl there with the L.A. Rams, and he gets absolutely annihilated, Dusty. He gets annihilated by Bill Belichick, low-scoring Super Bowl. Now, what did Belichick do? What he did was he presented a six-man front. Now, the way that Belichick liked to use it is he brung an extra safety onto the line of scrimmage with that six-man front. So basically what he said is, we're going to make you play left-handed. It's Bill Belichick 101. It's the bullseye defense that he runs, which basically he says, okay, what's their top target? All right, we're going to double-team that guy with our number two and number three corner. And then we're going to put our number one corner on their number two option. So with our top two options are completely shut down. Well, in the running game and the outside zone aspect of uh, Sean McVay's offense, what he said was we're going to make them play left-handed. We're taking that outside zone away. And, and man, they did, Dusty. So that's something that sparked a whole new era of defense across the league because, like they pointed out, the following year, you know, in 2020, the NFL basically copied – that with wide fronts, right? So they started presenting wide fronts. They understood that a wide nine tech or even a little less than that is enough to stop that wide zone and deter these offenses from running wide zone. Um, it's just amazing because, Dusty, when, when Belichick shut him down like that, if it hadn't been for that, we wouldn't have these wide nine quarter coverages now. Right now, Bangio was already running quarters, right? And this is just for those of you who know, the reason that came about, is because what, what teams are really keying in on are what we call explosive plays, plays of 20 yards or more. And what they found is the statistics show that if you hit an explosive play, then it triples your chance of scoring on that drive. So as a defense, what's your number one goal? Other than takeaways, of course. Takeaways, turnover differential, wins ball games all, all the time, all day long. What they said was, all right, let's take away the explosives. What are the top explosives? Outside zone in the running game and vertical passing. So how? what's the best way to shut down explosives on vertical passing? Quarter coverage. What's the best way to stop outside runs? Wide uh, wide technique, wide nine, wide, you know, whatever, seven tech, whatever you want to play. So 
that's what they installed as the defense moving forward. We'll get into it a little bit more later. But with McVeigh getting his butt handed to him in that <laughs> in that Super Bowl, now everybody copied that with wide fronts to take away that wide zone. Now in 2021, what did he do, Dusty? He shifted to 11 personnel to maximize the wide receivers. I love what he said. He said, I looked up and I got I got Cooper Cup sitting on the sideline. I'm going, what am I doing? Right? <laughs> do you remember him saying that in the pod? Yeah. 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 So what sticks out to you about that 2021 year when when McVay, of course, uh, you know, they go and they trade for Stafford and they go on to win the Super Bowl. What kind of sticks out to you with that? I mean, a couple things. I mean, that's part of it is you're adapting to what the league is doing. You're trying to find new ways to attack it and kind of seeing who you need to attack that with. It's not golf. Isn't going to do that. Golf's not going to be the guy to do that. And I think that there's a handful of things I think to take away, you know, golf is not the guy that they wanted to do that. And so they thought that maybe Stafford could be that guy, but even if not, the way that was going is because well, the other, and the other thing with that too, it's, it's, it's a combination of quarters and just that too high, pre-snap quarters looks. I remember I think that was something Shanahan said when he was with Salah was that he got together with Salah and he was like, oh, you guys are just running cover three. Like that's, you guys are just running cover three. You're just rotating that guy out. Like this isn't, because I think he was looking at it and going, this, it's like quarters match and you're rotating that guy down like on the weak side. It's like, right. no, you're just, you guys just straight are running cover three. You're just running it out of like this too high shell. He's like, yeah, that's right. Like I'm still, I'm basically, basically the guy I've always been. I'm buzz, just right? Was it called a buzz? Am I thinking right? Where, where you I had think so, yeah. Where it's, it almost looks like a robber thing, but you're kind of, you're spinning those guys. Yep. And so, I mean, that was, that's part of it then. And I know what, how Stafford wanted to operate. Cause that's always one of the big things in the podcast. And then something I know I talked about before as well has been uh, golf. Golf liked his under center play action. Cause big, they still want to do his play action. Golf like his under center play action. Well, with that rise of the defenses, the, the picture looks different when you turn that it's, you got too high. You got your two guys. You turn <laughs> your back to the play action. Well, Rogers doesn't want to do the under center, under center play action, turn around to the play action. You come back around. Maybe you got too high. Maybe those guys have spun. Maybe they're running, running some kind of invert coverage. Like, and then you have in your mind, you've got your pre-snap picture, your post-snap picture. You take your pre-snap picture and say, I've got these guys here. If the guy, this guy moves here, like my number one read is here. It's, it's all that. Well, then you turn around no one is where you thought they were going to be. They're not yeah. even running the same coverage, the same shell coverage like you thought they were running. And now suddenly you don't you don't know where your number one read is supposed to be. And yeah. so with Stafford was a guy where he was like, okay, we still want to run this. To, like we still want to run our core passing concepts to some extent. Like we still want to keep those. We still want to keep the play action. We need a guy that can operate out of gun so that when he does those play action, eyes can be up. You can see where those guys are rotating, and then you can exploit from there. And I mean, that was and that, that's been one of those. That's evolution of the league. That's evolution of the of the system. That's finding who who. I mean, and there's I think there's a couple different ways to go about it. You either find the guy that you say like this is what we need to run. I need to find the guy that can do this, or you say. I have the guys that I have. How do I use the guys I have best? And I, I mean, I believe, believe McVeigh. If McVeigh didn't get Stafford, he still tries to make that work somehow with golf, where he gets yep. someone else out of like an air raid system who can who's a little more comfortable operating out of shotgun all the time to do some of that stuff. But I mean, that's that's to me that's one of the that that's the coaching thing, right? I'm not asking my guy to do something he can't do. So we either get the guy who can do what I want him to do. Or I've got to figure out another solution to this problem. And that was the easiest solution was, they're going to try to make this hard on us. Okay, my guy's going to be in shotgun. We're spreading them out. You can only spin so much because you yeah. can't, you don't want to give up integrity on the back end, which you're doing if you move guys around too much. Uh, and so I thought that was kind of a fascinating look into terms of like, we got Stafford not because we thought he was good, but because we thought he was good. He thought he was available to us. And this is the, where we think the league is going in terms of how I think I can find answers to this. Passion, drive, and patience. 
The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they begin to go 11 personnel heavy, and people, people will see that and they think, well, that's not the Shanahan system. Shanahan runs 21 personnel. Guys, it's the same passing concepts. It's the same, you know, Bill Walsh was notorious for that. He said, you know, I would, I would, I'm always trying to accomplish the same thing. I just, I need to give it the illusion of complexity when it's really simple. We're, we're running the same type of concepts. We're attacking space on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's just phenomenal, man. And of course, as the outside zone took over, um, it, it, they made it sound on that podcast as if that's what ran Pete Carroll's cover three defense kind of out of the league. You know, it, it was, you know, outside zone kind of began to do that. And um, of course, they dominated in the early 2010s. You guys know the Legion of Boom, all that uh, phenomenal defense. Well, Robert Sala actually came over to the 49ers from Seattle, and that's what Dusty was alluding to. And that story was great, Dusty. When he, it, The way I – and maybe I misunderstood it, maybe I didn't. Um, it, it seemed like Kyle Shanahan was like, y'all weren't, y'all weren't running quarters? With yeah. <laughs> He's like, no, we were just running cover three. And they're all trying to and, – and the competition, Dusty, of Robert Sala – and and Shanahan challenging each other to the point where they go like a week without talking. They were so mad at each I, other. I loved what was that? And she does there's the thing on there where it makes it sound like they're talking through the headset sometime. Yeah. It's all telling a story about like they're getting killed on defense and Shanahan's just yelling, do something. Yeah. <laughs> I like, well, I'm not playing on sound defense. And they fought and they figured something out during the week. Like just that stuff's fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, again, as they start to look at the explosives and all that stuff, that's where they all kind of came up with the idea of, hey, look, why don't we why don't we run a Fangio quarter system with some man principles and stuff on the back end and let's give a wide nine look, a wide look on the front 
on the on you know against the running game and and bam it takes off and now you see all of these teams switching to that you know obviously uh, Brandon Staley if you guys remember Brandon Staley uh, Staley was with Vic Fangio I believe in Chicago and Denver and mm-hmm. then of course he gets the head coaching job he well first of all he joined Sean McVay in 2020 with the LA Rams to install that whole look so Brandon Staley comes over. In 2020 to the Rams, they install it. And then what happens in Green Bay? In 2021, Matt LaFleur hires Joe Barry, the linebackers coach for the L.A. Rams, to do what? Install install wide nine-quarters defense, more or less. That's how we got to the point where we're at in Green Bay. And uh, really on offense, like they were saying, it's all about attacking space. And I love what Robert Sala said, Dusty. He said something along the lines of, as a defense, what you want to do is constantly be moving that space and moving the stress or the, you know, some people mm-hmm. call the pressure. It's all about, it's all about defending space and applying stress to the offense. And you got to constantly be moving those things. Um, come out. I come out of this pod with a, a little more respect for Robert Sala. And yeah. I've always been of the, the Neanderthal uh, way of thinking <laughs> when it comes to football, that offensive coaches are smart and defensive coaches are just mad. That's it. That's, sure. that's, and it's not freaking true. Like these guys, I mean, Robert Sala, like to be able to put that together and work hand in hand with Kyle Shanahan, lower the ego, and both of them come up with that awesome defense. Guys, you guys know what that defense was like. And, and it all makes sense too. What year was it, Dustin? I'm kind of putting you on the spot. I'm trying to remember. What year was it that we got absolutely boat raced by the 49ers under LaFleur in the playoffs? That, that With the Niners? That was uh, 19. That was his first year. So in 2019 – they ran the ball down our freaking throat. And then lo and behold, two years later, we're going, all right, we got to go with a wide look. We got to shut this outside zone down. It's just amazing, man. And 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 here's the thing, too. Everything in the league is cyclical, right? It's going to come and go. It's going to come back around. So what are we getting ready to get into now? You know, I and I don't mean to get off topic, but the first thing that comes to mind is Brian Flores in Minnesota. Dusty, there's a lot of people writing Minnesota's defense off. They lost everybody. They're going to be horrible. And I'm sitting there looking at Flores going, hold up a minute now. This dude this dude studied under Bill Belichick forever, running man coverage in that bullseye type defense, right? And you've seen what Belichick was able to do to this outside zone in the Super Bowl. He goes to Miami, gets his feet wet, and then where did he spend last year? He was with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh uh, yeah. Pretty much a zone blitz defense for the most part, right? So – this guy has gotten – he's studied under two of the best defensive head coaches in the history of football. I don't write Minnesota's defense off. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but I just don't think they're going to come out and flop. Do you? I still kind of think they do because I know the – I think to me it's a when, – when he had a chance to run his defense under under everything else, what did he want to do? And he learned under he learned under those guys. Like he, he, he can be more variable, and I think that's what I'm trying to keep him at the back of my head. He is not always who he has shown he has been because even, you know, whatever. Uh, he's when, – when we've seen him, when the chips are down, what he wants to do – is he wants to bring pressure and he wants to he wants to put his guys on islands. He wants he wants man and he wants to bring five or six dudes. If he could bring seven guys at you every single down, <laughs> I, I promise you he would do it. And so to me, that's part of it. Is okay if if he is who we all think he is or who I believe that he is. What he wants to do in his very bones is he wants to blitz and play man on the back end. They don't have the horses for that. They don't have the horses for that on any single level. That Vikings defense now. I wouldn't be shocked, like you said, given his background, he'd come out and not want to blitz a whole lot at all. He could come out and run a whole lot of very defense. He certainly has the background to do that stuff. But I think 
I think we're going to get the version of Flores that's just like, we don't have the horses, so we might as well just bring guys anyway and hope we hit you before you can get rid of the ball. So I, I don't think they're going to be good. I don't think any of that's on Flores. I don't think they have the horses there to do a whole lot, unless those like what Lewis seen who played like one snap and Andrew Booth has had back injuries back to college. Like they've got guys who, if those guys can stay healthy and can like live up to their potential, maybe they could be good. But I just, I think Flores is just going to like, or we're going to bring in six or seven guys. And we're just going to have to deal with that. I guess that's, right, that's my see. guess as to how he goes. We'll see. That's going to help me sleep tonight. Um, cause I, <laughs> I'm just looking at him. I'm going, cause I'm a, I'm a Belichick nut, man. I, I love everything about uh, just, I, I've studied him to the end. Any book that's written on Belichick I've read, it's just, in my opinion, we've had the opportunity to see the greatest coach in the history of football in real time. And I know a lot of people don't like him and they've been labeled as cheaters and this and that. I don't know, man. We're the way I was raised playing sports. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. We were always trying to listen. He is a cheater, but every, but that's, (laughs) he is also very good. It's the same thing to me as like Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds took HGH. Yeah, that Barry Bonds also had like a 65 on base percentage one year. Like <laughs> he is still like he cheated, and that's that is bad for both of those guys. I am against cheating, but the vast majority of teams are cheating to some extent, and also they are very, very good in spite of that. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think if you look at his game plans, you look at what he's able to do. I think it's just it's I don't know how you come away with anything other than he's just a tremendous coach. Yeah, definitely. Bob in the chat says, remember how everybody was talking about how tight in focused Tennessee was with LaFleur's OC? Then this draft, dot, 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 coincidence. Um, do you remember much about the Tennessee offense? Because the the I didn't really study into it. I didn't dig into Matt LaFleur's time in Tennessee. I know that it did produce, uh, I think it was Arthur. Is it Arthur Smith that's in Atlanta Arthur now? Smith. I think, yep. I think mm-hmm. he came from there. It might have been a tight end coach, ironically. And then uh, I with, think he was elevated to OC after LaFleur got the job. So he was OC yeah. in Tennessee, but yeah, he was – Tight end. I think, yeah, I think tight end coach in, in Tennessee. Do you know much about that Tennessee offense as far as personnel and stuff Ooh. like that? Yeah, I mean, it's been a minute since I looked at it. Um, this is one of the, so I used to pick up random teams in the offseason to study to see what they were doing. So I had actually looked at, I was looking at the McVay offense uh, when that was going, um, when the floor was there. And then for some reason, I jumped to Tennessee when the floor was in Tennessee. So it's been a while since I've looked at it. There actually is, I've got a book back on my shelf. I don't know if you know Bobby Peters at all, but Bobby oh, Peters yeah. writes a bunch of books. He actually has one on the Titans passing game from 18, the year the floor was there. So, so really, there, there check you go. that out for sure. I mean, it, it is a bank account. Count, Dustin. If you, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, dude. If you look at what the Rams were doing, um, and then you look at what the Packers are doing, I mean, it's basically the same stuff. You look at a lot of those concepts. I do think they were a little more 12 personnel heavy in the hand. I'm blank. I know they had Delaney Walker and I'm blanking on. They had at least one other like pretty good tight end there as well. And, and I think, you know, not to deviate from the question, but that is something that, that you touched on as well. When, when McVeigh came, when he said like, well, I got cups sitting over there. One of the things that I love, and I think you did as well, like picking up on this is like how all of these guys we already kind of talked about, like, they don't necessarily have a rigid system. You've got your system, you've got the system that you want, and then you've got what you can run. And McVeigh and uh, the floor, when they came into LA, they wanted 12 personnel. Then they got there and went, this is dumb. Like, why would we do 12 personnel when we have these guys? And so, I mean, I think it is, I think, I think Shanahan is to some extent, like in their, in their, deepest heart 
they want to do what, Sh- what Shanahan is doing. They would like to go heavier right. personnel. They want to go to 12 personnel. They want to base stuff around the run right now. They want more gap scheme run stuff with a lot of these same passing concepts behind it. They just haven't been able to. So and I think Tennessee, I think we did see that in Tennessee. I, th- I do think it was a little 12 heavier. Uh, the, the offense was not great that year. They had Mariota, so you had a little more kind of run stuff in there as well. But, I mean, I do think, and I don't know if this is going to be the year because of, you know, rookie tight ends and that learning curve. I don't know if you want to base an offense around Tyler, Tyler Davis and Josiah DeGuara as much as I love <laughs> Josiah DeGuara. Um, I do think, you know, not this year. If you want to look two years down the line, I do think that's what they're building for. I do think they want not just heavier, because I think that's I think that's really easy, I know, for for to look at and say, like they want to go heavier, they want to go 12, they want, you know, they want more beef out there. Well, it's also about being variable and multiple. And those guys are not, I mean, the way you look at this now, like Tucker Craft is, I mean, closer to a wide tight end than say Luke Musgrave is but he's still a more dynamic receiver than any white tight end that we've seen in a very long time. So, I mean, it is, it's about being able to give those looks. And then, I mean, ultimately that's it. If you're trying to create space, how did you create that space? And it's, you create space ultimately by getting guys who are very good, especially tight end position, you get guys who are very good blockers and can also receive. Uh, You can do, you look at what the the Niners are able to do with George Kittle. You can do a thousand things with a guy who can block really, really well. And then and then catch as well. I mean, the the Patriots were doing that. The Patriots built an offense around Gronkowski and and the man who we will not name yeah. right now. Just out of those same Great looks call. for that same Great exact call. reason. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we were we were doing a Christian Watson breakdown earlier on one of the pods, and we we broke down like six plays. And Dusty, every time I seen Alan Lazard on the field, it's like I started daydreaming and seeing number eighty eight. I'm going. I think I think Musgrave can do that. I think he can run that route. I think he can, you know, be that decoy. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we had Andy Herman on the pod the other day, um, one of the things he pointed out, he said, "I will say this because I, you know, I kind of threw up the whole tight ends are kind of slow to the game unless it's your Kittles, your Kelseys, you know, your dominant tight ends." And and let's hope that Musgrave is that. No reason to believe he is at this point. But he said, uh, you know, Clayton. One of the things he said that stood out to me, he said he took all the number one tight end snaps at camp. And they said that he made a big step from the first OTA to the second. And the first thing that triggered my mind was that sounds like Quay Walker from last year. And he got a bunch of playing time. Mm-hmm. Do, you think, do you think they're going to roll with Musgrave and DeGuara for the most part? Or do you think it's going to be something they lean on Tyler? It'd be nice. I mean, I hope they do. Um, I, I'm of the mind. Uh, your mistake, Clayton, is listening to Andy Herman. Like, what? You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> kidding. I love that, dude. Love you, Andy. Uh, no, I mean, I, I do. Th- I think, I mean, one of the big things with Musgrave, I mean, if I look at stuff in college and you look at what they're doing with the pros, a lot of those guys, I look at wide, the way I look at wide receiver blocking is I don't care if you're good. Do you know where you're supposed to be? And are you trying? Are you, yeah. are you able to lose slowly? Are you whiffing a lot? Like, are you giving effort? And you look at, Luke Musgrave did not have a ton of college tape, but he's a dude who tried. Like he tried to block, he and he could block. But what you're asking from a guy in college versus what you're asking guy from the pros in terms of technique, the level of man you're trying to block is is entirely different. So I mean, I could see Musgrave. What I've been thinking about Musgrave is, I I hope they find ways to get him on the field. I think he will likely be more Jimmy Graham than Alan Lazard, even this year in terms of, listen, we'll put you in line occasionally. We'll put you, we'll kind of do that insert where we stick you like under the tackle and offset on some of those run looks to kind of like give a little chip help. We're going to line you up wide. You're a wide receiver that occasionally is going to block. And then we're going to teach you how to be a tight end in the NFL. Cause that's the biggest thing that I mean, when you think of like that transition, that's the biggest thing when you're going from college to the pros is 
they're asking you offensive line reads. If you're lining up at the backfield, which the four has them do you're learning fullback reads, you're learning tight end route tree. Then you're learning wide receiver route tree. Like it's a lot of stuff to remember. So if they just simplify it for them and say, be an athlete, go out there, run routes. We ask you to block. Don't make a fool of yourself. And that's a way to get them out on the field. Cause this year, more than anything, I mean, I don't think they're competing for Super Bowl this year anyway, just find right. ways to get him on the field. And I think he can do it. And then he can learn how to be a good tight end down the road. But if he can just be an effective big wide receiver this year, who isn't afraid to block. I mean, I, I, I hope, I hope they find ways to get him out there. Cause you look at the wide receiver core. There's a lot of guys that could hit. And there's also a lot of guys that got questions about if Musgrave could essentially be like wide receiver three, Dude, I love that for now and for down the line. Yeah. And you, I mean, you throw in Jaden Reed, if he could pick up the playbook quick enough, that dude has all kinds of athletic ability here in the chat. Uh, Garrison said, you know, referring to what we were talking about just a second ago, I mean, still in plays as a part of the game feels like this is just the first generation of coaches that openly talk about it. Um, who was it? It was it Andrew Whitworth. Was it Andrew Whitworth that said, uh, you know, the offensive tackle, he said, I honestly look at what everybody's doing and I feel like they're going, oh, yeah, he ran it out of 11 personnel. I'm going to do it out of 12. He's doing it out of 12. I'm going to do it out of 13. Like they, they don't call them the piss boys for nothing, right? And they're not just cleaning piss, but I think they're 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 constantly in a pissing contest, a pissing match. Well, and I think – I can't remember who it was on the podcast. Someone did mention it on the podcast where they were like – they were like, oh, McVay, like, you know, he, he ran out this new play and it was a post-game press conference. He's like, no, I stole that from so-and-so. And that, I mean, that then that was it. Like, everyone steals, no one talks about it. I loved one of my favorite bits, and, and it's because it was LaFleur, and it's because it was one of those, like, boy, I'd love to be a fly on that wall. When she went to go visit LaFleur in his office, and he's sitting there with all the tabs of cut-ups from the Chiefs and the Niners and all that. And LaFleur's quote was my favorite, one of my favorite quotes, and he just says, I'll steal from anyone, man. I don't care. <laughs> Just, it is. I mean, it, I mean, no, I think, I think Garrison's right. And it does sound like that was the case when, when McVay basically said, no, I stole that play from, from such and such. I was kind of a, no one really talked about that. So it is, I do like that they will give credit, but, but to your point, Clayton, I also like that it, it, there is still that level of one-upsmanship that I'm going to run this, but I'm not going to run it the way you, I'm not going to give you the credit for like you giving me this idea. I've got to switch this up enough. I'm not, <laughs> I, like they're just still competing, even though they're not even in the same cities anymore. <laughs> I was gonna say they're they're all in different buildings across the country, but it's still that competition that was right there in Washington, where they said that they would. I can't remember who it was that leaned in the door and, and heard them all yelling and cussing each other out, and he said, "Hey, do you guys realize how effing lucky you are? <laughs> right? Like they're still competing. They're still competing. There's no doubt about it. Now, I, I personally, I could be wrong, Dusty, but I personally believe." the Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur uh, friendship is a little fractured. When we beat them after the whole Aaron, you know, the whole uh, draft day um, reporting that Aaron Rodgers was being shopped to San Francisco, oh, yeah. when we beat them that year, did you see the way LaFleur shook his hand and kind of slapped him on the back and didn't even make eye contact? With him? I kind of feel like that was orchestrated out of San Francisco. Like they were, they were the ones that leaked that information out and made it try, tried to make it sound like the Packers were trying to trade Aaron Rodgers when indeed they were the ones who reached out to Green Bay. I could be reading too much into it. Maybe I want that to be true to, to make the rivalry a little more fierce, but it just felt different that year. It really I, I thought that for a while. It's kind of one of those. I don't like to read too much of that unless it's like Harbaugh trying to fight Jim Schwartz on the field. I try not to read oh too much God. of like post-game reactions or anything. Uh, but uh, I mean, I think after listening to the podcast, I could very much see it as like a LaFleur was mad. And then he like he kind of showed that on the field. But a week later, he was fine. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if that's the case because the way they kind of are, it seems like, is they fight. 
they'd scrap, they'd go <laughs> at each other. I mean, they like, I mean, you mentioned even Salah and Shanahan, even in the same building. He's like, Salah's like, there's like sometimes a week we wouldn't talk, and then we'd get back together and it's like nothing changed, like everything was fine. Like, so I wouldn't be shocked if like LaFleur was mad. He did make a point of that. And then within three days, was like just he had forgotten he had moved on at that point. Like I, that wouldn't shock me a single bit after listening to this. Man. <laughs> yeah, and I can't remember if it was Raheem or who it was, but they's talking about how they were sitting in the room and they're all arguing. You know, this is back in Washington now, and you know he's mother f and Matt. You know, who's sitting right next to Kyle, and then of course they they holler down the hall to McVay to get confirmation on who was right. And Mike <laughs> McDaniel's going, "Hey, dude, everybody, calm down. It's it's just phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal." Um. I'm telling you guys, if you haven't heard it, go listen to it. We are not doing it justice. And again, mm-hmm. another shout out to uh, to Jordan for just doing an amazing job, and and the athletic for giving the freedom to do it. Um, it it's and the amount of access she got is tremendous. Like we heard from all guys, we heard from every single all the main players in that story. We heard from and some some a little less than others, but like. We talked about it before we started recording some of the stuff McVeigh was kind of talking about some of his darker moments last year, like. He's very open. They're all very open about a lot of that stuff, which is just which is fascinating, I think, to hear directly from them. Yeah, and and like you said offline too, Jordan isn't just a reporter. Jordan knows X's and O's. Jordan yeah. understands football. Like she, I mean, I would love to sit down and take notes on her breaking down field. Like she's she's on that level. She, she did a big thing, I think, when 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 after Staley was hired because she's a beat writer for the Rams for the for the athletic and has been for a while, so she knows those guys pretty well. Um, when Staley got hired, she did a bit like it was still in my mind one of the best. Cody Alexander stuff. Cody Alexander is doing is tremendous in terms of like understanding that quarter's defense. And she leveraged him somewhat for that series. But her explaining not just kind of what Staley wanted to implement, why he wanted to implement it, what the benefits were, and then kind of like the human impact of that. That's still one of my favorite things she's ever done. It's just like kind of understanding the defense from all angles, not just, not just the X's and O's. You understand what they're trying to do, how they're trying to accomplish it, but how the players on the field do that. And like how that affects other people as well. She's, she does incredible work and has been for a very long time now. Absolutely. I completely agree. All right. As we get ready to wrap up the, the, the last thing that kind of sticks out to me is player input. The one thing about this coaching tree is they want player input. They are open to communication from the players and what makes them comfortable. You know, I think it was during that dark time, actually before the dark time, uh, before McVay won the Super Bowl, He, I remember reading a quote from someone. It was his quote that was reported that he said the reason he moved on from Jared Goff to Matt Stafford is he wanted a partner. He didn't want a pupil. And he he knew Matt Stafford would kind of help him mold this offense. It's the same thing you've seen Sean Payton do with Drew Brees in New Orleans, you know, it's the same thing you've seen McCarthy and Rogers do back in the day as, as, as uh, Rogers began to, to kind of cut his teeth in the business and working his way up to this all pro quarterback, McCarthy started to lean on him more for, for ideas, you know, in Washington, I'll just rattle them off real quick. And I want to get your parting thoughts, Washington, letting RG three install that play, right. And, and, and having him take ownership of it. In Atlanta, being willing to deviate from what you're used to and using that, utilizing that up tempo, that turbo package, just evolving. The LA Rams taking that up tempo there and maximizing what Jared Goff could do. You know, another thing too, Dusty he was talking about. They would get to the line of scrimmage so quick that the comms would still be on in the helmet, and he would tell him where to throw the football. Like, yeah, literally McVeigh would go, all right, man. which was, and that, that was fascinating because I've heard that before. I mean, that's a story that's been going on for a while, but like then hearing from, I can't remember who it was that was saying like, 
I think it was RG3 is like, that's a blessing and a curse because as you're going up and trying to make your checks at the line, you got McVeigh in your helmet like, going, oh, make sure you check that backside safety. And he's like, it's hard to kind of like get your bearings right when you're trying to diagnose on one side, then you've got your coach in here telling you something else and how that, that is a bit of a blessing and a curse. I know, which was, which is a, not a, not really a side I had, I had heard of before. Which was really yeah. And, and the equivalent of that would be sit down and read a book and tell someone to give you instructions while you're reading that book. <laughs> it would drive you insane. I couldn't tell you how many times I've done it to my wife. She's done it to me. We've stopped and went, what? <laughs> like, you know, I can't read and listen to you too. Um, uh, in San Francisco, another, th- or I'm sorry, back to LA, uh, once Stafford arrived, how he, how they kind of allowed him to have freedom. And even with the offensive line, you remember him and Andrew Whitworth, they changed the, the mm-hmm. running scheme. Mid game, right? They're during the up. Dallas game, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they talked about how they they went to more of kind of that, not wide zone, but more like a, a midline. And they, I think, the middle three in that line worked out the blocking on that, like on the sidelines between plays. I think, which, and, which and seems insane. And, and telling Gurley, "Hey, look, don't even worry about reading it. Just hit it here. Hit the hole here." And then Sean McVay's perspective on the sideline was like, "Yeah, do it, run it, go ahead. Yeah, it's working. Let's do it." You know, that's the thing. Like. People, they try to paint this picture that, oh, well, they won't run their offense. They don't want to run their offense. They're trying to do checks at the line, this and that. There's a lot of freedom, especially with veteran players. And um, that's something that this tree, I, I came away feeling like they're not afraid to to give them a little bit of that freedom. You've seen it with LaFleur and Rodgers. You know, obviously, LaFleur talked about in that podcast, he gets to Green Bay and he goes, you know, Rodgers is pretty good. Devontae's arguably the best receiver in the last five years. So what did they do in 2020? They began leaning on the isolation game. And it's something that Greg Cosell talks about a lot with the boundary X. The boundary X typically is an ISO play. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're putting that guy out there to try to isolate him on that DB and just giving Rogers the freedom. And of course we heard Rogers say on the McAfee show that Devontae is free to run whatever route he wants at any time. Like he's basically reading the defense, especially in those, those ISO X plays. Read the defense, run, and, and maybe he was exaggerating. I don't know. Rodgers has never exaggerated. We know that. But <laughs> he he made it sound as if he come to the line and was like, that's all I'll tell you. I didn't know he was going to run that. You know, I remember him saying that. But, again, LaFleur giving him that freedom, especially in 2020, one year after he had already they'd already gotten one full year under their belt for them to kind of – especially like we talked about with the RPO game. In Seattle, you kind of seen it with Shane Waldron, too. For those of you who don't know, Shane Waldron comes over from the L.A. Rams after they win a Super Bowl, and he is the offensive coordinator for the, uh, the Seattle Seahawks. When I watched the tape for them, because I was trying to put this to bed, everybody was screaming, they're not running LaFleur's system. They're not running I'm going. I'm going to go watch Miami. <laughs> I'm going to watch Seattle. I'm going to watch San Francisco. I'm going to watch L.A. Everybody, Cincinnati, everybody who's got any kind of ties at the Shanahan tree, I'm going to go watch it. And everybody was doing things different. You know, I, the, the first play from sc- scrimmage, what, what did Seattle do that I watched? Man, I watched their opening, which is kind of – if you watch the openers, and I know you know this, Dusty, for the listeners um, – Typically, the openers are a pretty good reflection on what the game plan is. These these are scripted plays. This is what we're going to try to exploit, at least early in the game. They came out in an empty set, and I'm going, why ain't nobody <laughs> saying this ain't Shanahan's system? You know what I mean? Because everybody is evolving. Um, and then, of course, in Miami, we kind of talked about that, you know, with I kind of felt like they were more mirroring San Francisco, but like you said, they were leaning on the pass a lot more. Why? Because you got Tariq Hill. You've got Jalen Waddle. You've got these – you have got to – play to your strengths as far as personnel. Players win them, coaches lose them. I hate saying it because I don't want to believe it's true, but that's a Belichick quote, and I'm going to go with the GOAT over my dumb redneck football knowledge. So um, 
with that being said, man, as we wrap up, what do you got? What's the uh, parting thoughts? What sticks out to you? Um, yeah, I'll throw, uh, honestly, for the examples, I'll throw Zach Taylor in there as well. Taylor's a guy we haven't really talked about. Obviously, the head coach up in Cincinnati. He talked about when he got to Cincinnati, he, he was, I think his, his first year was, was when they drafted Joe Burrow. He wanted to do under center play action. The same thing you think about Shannon. He wanted to do under center play action. He wanted to kind of base stuff off the run game. And he said, you know, they they basically went straight drop back. I don't know what their play action numbers are, but he said they went straight drop back based the I mean the, this past year especially based almost everything out of spread gun. And he was like, because that's Joe Burrow. That's what Joe Burrow was good at, and that's what he wants to do. And I think I think to me, I mean, it's something to 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 kind of hammer home a little bit for me, and also you know for other people that that don't quite. <laughs> you know, watch as much football as you or I do and try to dig into some of this stuff. When you talk about a system, when you talk about like implementing a guy's system, we're trying to do this system. There's not one way to do it. There's not one system. If you, that, that I mean, that's one thing. And the floor has talked about that this year as well. People, people, I've heard people ask him, uh, you know, so are we going to see a more pure version of your system this year? He's like, well, it's never been my system. It's our system. And that, I mean, and I've been saying that, I know you've been saying that as well in terms of like the best, systems it's not a rigid system you're looking at like what do i believe what do i believe will work as far as a coach how do i want to accomplish my goals what what do i believe in terms of the passing game the running game overall philosophy but then also how how do i get that to work with the players i don't know if i just froze there how do i get that to work with the players that I, that I have, how do I get them not only to buy in, but how do I get them to run it? Well, because we, we mentioned it with golf, if they went, if, if McVay just went straight saying, all right, we're going, I don't like the way the defense is going. This doesn't work with the way we want to go. I want to change up. This is still my system, but the way I see it being most successful, I need to get a little more spread gun. We're still going to run the same stuff. I need to go spread gun because this is what I want to do it. And I'm going to have you Jared Goff do this. That is destined to fail. So he went yeah. and found something that wasn't. And if you look at if if LaFleur comes in and says, we're going 12 personnel, we're going play action, we're running 51% of the time, you, Aaron Rodgers, are doing everything from under center, shotgun, and like barely anything under shotgun. We're doing under center, doing under play action. We're doing everything motion. Rodgers would like – Open, like maybe burn the building down at this point. <laughs> so it's it's a marriage. The best thing it's a marriage of what do I as a coach want to accomplish? What do I believe? What are the pieces I have? I mean, I mean, it's it's even more apparent if you listen to guys who coach college, guys who coach high school, because that especially high school. You listen to high school coaches. It's not only that that base turns over every four years. A lot of times it's. I mean, you listen to some like all the hell mommy stuff. It's like. Or even Mouse Davis. The, the Mouse Davis is like, I, I want to run like a running system in high school, but all I had were small guys and we were just getting beat up. And so like we just I'll, I'll throw my short guy in the flat and oh that worked. All right, we're going we're going up tempo and we're and we're going spread and we're doing run and shoot stuff, which is how some of that stuff started. Like I, I think to me that it kind of hammered home this this idea that hopefully some of the questions will stop. Uh, right. There is not one way to run this. A system is not a rigid thing. A system is a, for, for that, that word, I hate the word system, that the system itself is a living, breathing thing yes. that, that changes, that, that will change, that should change based on league evolution, based on who you have in the building, based on what they're good at. I mean, that's, I can't remember if it was in this podcast or not. It was this like, I think it was, it was like, it was episode one. Like Shannon had something like, you don't have to be good at you don't have to be good at everything, but you better be able to do something. Yeah. And then you build that something out of that. You work with what you have. And I think more than anything, at hammer home, 
not just that these guys are all very good offensive minds, very like very thoughtful in terms of, I know they talked about the floor is like the most detailed guy, thoughtful in terms of like how they want this to work, how they want everything to work, but also flexible enough to be able to change what they want to do or change that personnel based on who they have. I think it's just, again, fascinating to look into that stuff as far as like getting into the minds of those coaches. And again, even hammering home, these guys all come from the same tree. And like you said, you look at, you look at them. If, if someone told you, if someone never told you Mike McDaniel coached under uh, Sean McVay, there'd be nothing there. There'd not, not be nothing. There wouldn't be a whole lot there to tie those guys together in terms of like what they did this past year. Um, right. So just, it, yeah, I, I could go on and on about it. I think it's a fascinating to look into this offense that, that is just huge in the NFL right now, not only how it came to be, but kind of how these guys each play their part and see their part in it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about it being rigid and, and, and people, people, they want to assume that, oh, no, this this is one way of doing it. Again, let's recap, guys. Bill Walsh, vertical passing, quarterback gets hurt. His backup strength was short, passes accurate, quick processing, decision making. What's he do? He creates the West Coast offense, right? He goes to the 49ers, obviously matches the footwork up with Joe Montana, which he's always said was the greatest asset that that Joe Montana had was his footwork and everything is timing based three step drops four you know five step drops everything correlates perfectly with the offense he's utilizing what he's got right uh, Mike Shanahan goes to Denver brings in the zone blocking system why because Terrell Davis was phenomenal and John Elway was mobile enough to run boot action off of it you know get to Washington again if the Shanahan offense is so rigid, then why is he not running the read option right now? He's not doing it because he doesn't do RG3. He bring in RG3, marries up the pistol, the read option with the outside zone. They're off and running. Atlanta, the hurry up, which they called the turbo package, that's something they did different to kind of match what they had there with Julio Jones and, of course, that great running attack as well. L.A. Rams take it with them, right? When they go out to L.A. with McVay and, and LaFleur, they get the most out of golf they being McVeigh running the kind of that, that quick look. Of course, he brings in Stafford, changes things up just like Dusty said, on and on and on and on down the road. This from the 1970s, this West Coast offense has constantly been evolving. And I think they said that, like you said, early in the podcast, he said Mike Shanahan envisioned marrying up this zone blocking scheme to the West Coast offense. And when he envisioned it, he envisioned it as being something that's it's breathing. It's always evolving. It's always changing. And you just it's it's about staying one step ahead. But again, mm-hmm. it's so profound. And we'll end it with this is on offense, all you're doing is attacking space. On defense, all you're doing is defending that space. And that space is constantly moving. And it's a copycat league. Everything is cyclical. It's just I'm excited, dude. I'm excited to see. Does it finally turn back to the heavy, the the heavy formation days? Does it ever get to that point? You know, I don't think it does, but I wouldn't rule it out. You know, I think it's tricky. And she does talk about that. Talk about the future of the league, and that was one of my favorite bits too, where she was like, "Where does it go next?" All the coaches were like, "Well, I don't really know." And they're like, "Well, of course they're not going to talk about like what's, <laughs> what's going to come next and what, what the pine on that." Tell you exactly I, where it's going. Yeah, let me let me tell you. Here's my playbook. I mean, I've always thought at some point it will turn back to. You get hybrid guys, you get bigger bodies, so you get bigger, bigger bodies to counter that. And now you're running power against undersized linebackers who are slightly oversized safeties and like linemen who have gotten smaller, and then you can dominate them. But I think the way athletes have gone, the way body types have gone, I think it's really, I, I don't know if there's ever going to be one way you can do that. I think it's, 
I think it's a mix, a power game and spread football with, I mean, a lot of some of what the Eagles did this past year, honestly, right? Like it's, yeah. it's power run, it's spread football and a quarterback that can move a little bit. I think that's, and I do, I do want to say one more thing is that, so they interviewed Chris Brown on the podcast um, and and he did used to, I don't think he writes anymore. He's a lawyer, uh, but he wrote a couple books under smart football. He's one of the guys that taught me about football, like reading his work, the old Grantland days. He's got a couple um, kind of collected articles and books called Smart Football. And he he did something with Ted Nguyen a couple of years ago over the athletic about like watching football on your couch. What are you looking for? And one of my favorite things, because it relates to this idea of space. So he said, what do you look for when you're watching from a couch? You can see, you know, limited view with the broadcast. What are you looking for? And Chris Brown said, like he said, what he said, watch the green. You look at the green. Where is their open green on the field? And then from there, he's like, you're looking at how does the offense try to take that and how does the defense try to take that away? He's like, you will learn a ton about football that way. And then I listened to this podcast, and Chris Chris Brown was on it. Chris Brown didn't say it, but then Sal is talking about like covering up and moving the pockets. I was like, that's watching the green. Like all of my – the base of my football philosophy and what I know comes from Chris Brown. At this point, can be summed up in – watch the green because that's where that's the open field. That's where the offense trying to attack. How do they attack that? How do they create that? And then how does the defense take that away? And this is such, such a fascinating look into this one. That I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to go on that, but I, no, I heard Chris Brown in there and I was like, I've got, I can't get out of here without, without mentioning that. As, as you were saying that, I'm just going, I'm, I'm thinking of John Madden, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, first of all, still, 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 still from your opponents, find, find something that's working and maximize it. You know, when he became a head coach, he said, I'm going to take that vertical passing game that I learned. I think he was with Sid Gilman in college, I believe, before he went to the Raiders. But he also attended a workshop with a coach you guys have probably heard of. That was Vince Lombardi. And he said, I sat there and watched Vince Lombardi. He said he taught for hours on one play, the power sweep, one play. And he said, I sat in the back like I was in church or something. Like, I, 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 know, I'm, I know what I'm doing here. I'm just kind of – he said, I realized after hearing him talk about that one play for multiple hours, he said, I'm a fraud. I don't know any – I don't know a damn thing is what he said. <laughs> but what did he do? He, he takes over in Oakland, and what's he do? He attaches that passing scheme, and he steals Lombardi's power sweep. And I love they asked him, you know, why did you always run left? And he mentioned all the Hall of Famers. He had a Hall of Fame left tackle, had a Hall of Fame left guard, had a Hall of Fame center. He said, why the hell wouldn't I run left? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Football is so hard, but sometimes it can be so simple, dude. Like, my best guys are there. I will just do what they do. (laughs) I love it, man. Again, we could go for hours. I'm going to let you go, Dusty. Dude. You're the best. I can't thank you enough for jumping on here, man. Thank you for carving out time. I know you got family and everything. And uh, every time you're on, it's a hit. I always learn something. I appreciate your friendship, and I appreciate your time, man, just talking ball. It's always awesome. Always up to talk football with you, dude. I will learn something from you as well. Love what you're doing. Absolutely killing it. This has been a blast. Let's, let's do it again, dude. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, we're going to get out of here. For those of you uh, listening on the pod, we appreciate you making us a part of your day. Thanks to everybody in the chat here. And uh, as always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go Pack Go. The power sweep. Actually, it's the, it's the lead play in our, in our offense. Kill the tackle. Take the defensive end if he's over. If he's not, he's down the first man who's inside. Pull back and get him. Take the first man outside the offense. No one goes. Go right by them and field this side. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, he cuts inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he comes all the way around. 
to look at this play where we're trying to get a seal here and a seal here and try to run this play in.